Um, and he's got a little bit of main character syndrome, but he is literally the main character. So I think that's excusable. Hey, Zach. Hey, Liz. So there are some segues into this topic that are extraordinarily cursed. Um, Liz, January 6th, 2021. (laughs) Oh, boy. Joe Biden stood on a podium and said, this is not what America is. Those were his words, and he was incorrect. But, like, good on him, you know, for having hope. Whatever. Uh, But that spirit really is in a lot of folks in this country, right? That, like, this is not what America is. America is this great bastion of freedom. He he quoted um, Abraham Lincoln saying, like, oh, America's doing this great democratic experiment and all the everybody's going to look at America and be like, oh, my God, so cool. Democracy, Mm -hmm. freedom. Um, You know. There were some issues with the the democracy and the freedom um, in in Lincoln's time, and there are some issues with the democracy and freedom in America in our time as well. Uh, and so, it is, I think, naive to to imagine that America is far superior than any other country at a given thing. Yeah. Segway part one. Segway part two comes up next. In the intervening weeks since January 6th, 2021, our president has been meeting with the pillow guy about stealing democracy. Who's the the pillow guy? The guy who sold pillows on on the TV. Okay. um, The MyPillow guy. Yes. I know very little about him except he sold pillows on like Dr. Oz or something. Okay. Um and now he's meeting with our president about how to how to steal democracy. Perfect. And that's something that a lot of other countries don't have. That's something America does a lot better than other countries is evil pillow man. Evil pillow man. <laughs> so my proposal is that once we've taken care of nationalizing healthcare, and that's all you know, you know water under the bridge fi- figured out solved everything okay um the biden team is gonna need kind of if they're positioning themselves as the anti-trump the biden team is gonna need a good pillow man mm, right and i think right. the best best thing for a good pillow man to do would be to head up a brand new cabinet post, the Secretary of Ergonomics. <laughs> All right. Yeah. <laughs> yes. This is a thought I've been having since before I knew anything about Evil Pillow Man. Um, but I, I just want somebody to figure out what kind of pillow I need. I want to be able to go on a website and be like, give me the the right, tell me what kind of pillow I need. But I, I don't... so many pillow advertisements every day. Right. But I don't trust any of those pillow advertisements. I agree. 
Because you're more concerned with selling me a pillow than with my neck being happy. Yes. A failure of capitalism. Right. So what we need to do once we're done nationalizing healthcare is nationalize and, pillows. you know, about a week into the presidency, right. we can start focusing on pillows. First hundred days. <laughs> Good pillow man. The other three and a half years will be dedicated to pillow ergonomics. <laughs> and this also solves the, the issue of everybody being like, oh, American exceptionalism, because maybe we're not great at everything. Strike that. Strike the maybe. We're not great at everything, but we can be great at pillows. We could be great mm, at okay, pillows. Yeah. We pick one thing. We pick pillows. Uh-huh. And then once we've conquered pillow. Right. We move on to the next thing. Maybe it's bed sheets. That's globalism, baby. China's got um, iPhones. We've got pillows. <laughs> uh, the Swiss have good chocolate. We have right. pillows. Uh huh. The Swedes have furniture. Mm-hmm. We've got just pillows. They've got the just... rest of the furniture lineup. We've just got pillows. <laughs> fantastic that's all, that's all the thoughts that's okay it. that's just... all the thoughts I, I just want to make sure um so in this future how do you imagine pillow ergonomics factoring into uh other hot issues of the time for example uh, racial inequality oh okay how can you and i leverage america's pillow production to help make things better for everyone better pillows means better sleep means you wake up happier and ready to work on things um and as everyone knows the more people work the better the world is it's just like you know linear there's no dips no anything in that you work you know people in the world work more and work better world gets better Mm, I see. So what you're saying is it's not even really the pillows aren't just for Americans. We can we can put our exceptionalism into pillows, mm-hmm. but we're helping the whole world by making pillows. Right, absolutely. The scale is so much larger. A rising tide raises all beds. <laughs> could we okay, how about this? We could call it the war on bad sleep. Ooh, counterpoint, John Green said, and I believe everything John Green says, Right, that uh, declaring war on nouns doesn't work. I think John Green failed to consider, though, a war on adjective-modified nouns, right? Ooh. If it was a war on dangerous drugs, I think we'd have won it by now. So. <laughs> <laughs> The war on... I, I like that. I, I, I'm thinking, like, what if it was the war on blue drugs? Just blue uh, drugs. Right, yeah. <laughs> Could we do that? Uh-huh. Screw your Viagra. Uh, <laughs> what else? Uh, the, the meth from Breaking Bad? You can't have that. Yeah, I think we could do that. I think we could swing that. Um, but the thing is, also, when you declare something a war, it means a lot more uh, resources get funneled into it, mm-hmm. and uh, you can justify some losses. 
Instead in the of, war on bad sleep. I mean, yeah, if people have to die for everyone to get good sleep, then people uh-huh. have to die. Right. Um, we could replace the military-industrial complex with a pillow-industrial complex. Mm-hmm. Which is better? <laughs> it's well, cuddlier use... for sure, but I don't know. <laughs> how can we... I use those um, fancy robots that DARPA made. Oh. Or Boston Dynamics. Mm-hmm. I get confused. There's a lot of robots. Yeah. I feel like we might just need to, to move to, like, a whole new thing. Like, I'm just saying we have very cool robots. We have cool robots. I would like to use the robots. Maybe we just need to modify them into, like, CPAP robots. Hmm. Or, like, robots to make sure that you're having sweet dreams. Okay. I like that. Mm-hmm. Get a little bit of, like, real-time bio-monitoring. Yeah, like um, like a really advanced body pillow. You can, like, cuddle it. Uh-huh. But, like, it tracks your, your vitals and can tell, like, exactly what amount of support you need. Right. Based on your heartbeat? Yeah. <laughs> yeah and if your subscription runs out it doesn't let you sleep pours water on you (laughs) capitalism has found a way to sell sleep oh no oh no so anyway i'm seeing i'm looking around me i'm seeing a lot of very bad sleep and this is not america at the core this is not truly what america is that's right. We've always gotten good sleep here. Mm-hmm. And if you're not getting good sleep, it's a problem with you and not a problem with the system. Exactly. Right. Yeah. Have you tried um have you tried maybe like one of the 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 polyphasic sleep schedules? Like that might you know, it you know, just like take the initiative and and just try a bunch of things until something works. Jared, I'm begging you, please do not listen to earlier episodes, especially when I was talking about polyphasic sleep. See, but the the cool thing about polyphasic sleep is that it's basically, you're just taking all of the sleep that the normal people do, and you're condensing it. Yeah, yeah, no, no, I'm aware. I I remember what I was saying. I sure do remember. (laughs) Haunts me. I still kind of want to try it. I want to do, like, siesta kind of polyphasic sleep, though, not, like... Oh, sure. Yeah. Get an hour here or there. Not... or whatever. hmm The Einstein sleep method. I'm pretty sure he just slept in a bed like a normal human. But did you see his desk? It was messy. So everyone should have a messy ah. desk. Because everyone wants to be like Einstein. Einstein had pants that were exactly um, 33 inches in the inseam, so everybody's got to have pants that are 33 inches in the inseam. So we were talking about condensing all your sleep into one, like, three-hour chunk. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. You might get eight hours of sleep in three hours, because that's how human bodies work. Mm -hmm. You're basically speedrunning sleep. Right. And that's a thing that's safe to do and that everybody has an equal chance to do, right? Yes. 
Another thing you can speed run uh-huh. is Minecraft. Is that safe to do? And does everyone have an equal chance to do that? Absolutely not. Let's get let's get into it. <laughs> I want to start this conversation by saying that I can't even begin to explain how much none of this matters at all. <laughs> but it's but for whatever reason, it has caught my interest and the interest of many others. And there's drama. Absolutely. So first, let's talk about speedrunning. Speedrunning video games is a sport, or something like a sport, in which people qu- uh, compete to win a video game with a certain set of constraints. It's genuinely really interesting to watch different strategies to beat a game quickly. It's rarely done in the way that the game quote, wants you to do it, and some of the techniques are incredibly difficult to master. Uh, For example, sometimes runners will want to skip large sections of the game to get to the end more quickly, and because the developers don't want people doing this on accident, it's typically really difficult to do. Mm -hmm. Sometimes even requiring frame-perfect timing or pixel-perfect placement. And, but what, what does that mean? Frame perfect in a game that runs at 60 frames per second, which is pretty typical, means that the player must perform the correct input within a 60th of a second. Not before, not after. That's really difficult to do. Uh, Certus, insert a beep that is a 60th of a second long. (laughs) I've Uh, seen some... Like, this is kind of on that that idea of ways that you use the game, how the developer did not intend, but in a way that gets you exactly that kind of thing, that kind of precision, um, which is that there's a speed run of Monkey Ball that allows for frame buffering. So you can pause the menu or like go into the pause menu and then say like, okay, we're going to jump and go left and spin or whatever Mm -hmm. the exact second that i unpause and it like buffers that movement all into a single frame right after you unpause yeah and i think the really crazy thing is that it's not that just a select few people can do this kind of thing this type of incredibly precise timing uh incredibly precise um like placement of uh, your character. But a lot of people can do this. And a lot of people do do this. Hundreds of people actively do speedruns for just one game. And those are just the noteworthy ones, the professionals compared to everyone else who plays the sport. Mm -hmm. People dedicate an immense amount of time and effort into being good at speedrunning. And just like it, so more about speedrunning. Just like it doesn't really make sense to compare football players to golfers, it doesn't really make sense to ask who is who who the best speedrunner is. You might try to mm-hmm. argue that swimming is more difficult than basketball, but Michael Phelps will never beat LeBron James in basketball. Right. Similarly, it might take a very diff- different skill set to speedrun Mario than speedrun Half-Life. Moreover, sprinting is different from is different enough from long-distance running for the Olympics to split them up into two different races. In fact, many, many different races at different lengths. Mm-hmm. Even though it's it's all running. Right. 
Um, and to give a video game a- uh, allegory, allegory doesn't matter. Mario Odyssey has 875 total moons to collect in the game, but you only need 120 to beat the game. So different categories of speedrunning the same game come about because different people are good at different aspects of the games. Mm-hmm. So somebody might be good at 100%ing Mario Odyssey. Some people might be good at just getting the 120 moons as fast as possible and then beating the boss. Categories are further broken down by what tricks and techniques runners are allowed to use. Many speedrunners make use of glitches in the game to go faster. Uh, some cl- some categories have glitches allowed, some have no glitches al- allowed, and some have some glitches al- allowed. Mm-hmm. Neither is more correct or more pure speedrun. One is not better than the other. They're just different categories like sprinting and long-distance running. Speedrunning is also super organized. There are committees, archivists, and just a ton of people who really care about how fast someone can beat this game. Right. <laughs> and beat any game, really, not just a particular one. And there are a lot of people who don't want to speed want to speedrun, but contribute by finding techniques that other people can use. And I'd guess mm-hmm. that not many of those people do it for the credit. I think a lot of these people just want to see the game beaten faster. Right, yeah. One more pivotal thing to know about trying to beat speedruns more quickly is that some games have aspects of, uh, sort of insert a demon voice here, RNG. <laughs> Random number generators are the bane of many speedrunners' existence. Games use RNG to introduce aspects of non-determinism into gameplay. For casual players, this just means that their first and second runs through the game are a little bit different and just a bit more fun because they don't know exactly what's going to happen. Mm -hmm. For speedrunners, it means that you can't always do the exact same inputs in the exact same order and have the same result, which makes it more difficult. Right, okay. I'm thinking about, like, if you were trying to do a Stardew Valley speedrun, there's no trick to getting all of the different kinds of fish. Mm Mm-hmm. You just got to wait. You just got to keep fishing, just like real life, in theory. I think. <laughs> there are, you know, there are good spots and bad spots, but at the end of the day, you're all you're doing is increasing your odds. You're not making anything deterministic. Mm-hmm. And there are glitches and stuff to reduce aspects of RNG, but the fact of the matter is RNG is a big part of speedruns. It also means that one run might have a worse time even though the runner played better. Right. And that might seem a little unfair, but it's part of the game and part of the rules of, you know, of the speedrun, usually. You know, there, again, there are different categories, different things that people are good at, but mm-hmm. there are categories where RNG has to be respected. It also makes it so that runners have to spend more time trying to get, I mean, get, quote, get good luck. Sometimes starting runs over three quarters of the way through their run because they were just unlucky. And that might be a three hour, eight hour run. Mm -hmm. But if randomness is part of the game and it's in the rules, people have to deal with the consequences of the randomness. Like it would, it would be kind of dumb if one person could play basketball with spring shoes on. 
Yes. It's more like if one player had a basketball that um I don't know. I'm trying to think of a sports metaphor. There's not a great one, I don't think. Wind, maybe? Okay. If you could, like, like, pay the wind god to always blow the wind in your favor. Exactly. It wouldn't be fair to all the other golfers. Mm Mm-hmm. Okay. That's that's more close. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm-hmm. I'm gonna gonna say a thought that is maybe orthogonal to that thought, and we'll see if if they meet up somewhere okay which is that like when you beat fallout or whatever Mm -hmm. that's like it you're done playing fallout and you enjoyed whatever the story or Mm -hmm. but like the fallout is over now um and the enjoyment was in like learning how this world operates and how everything works um and learning like oh cool how do i how do i use this gun the best i can or whatever how do i connect with these people in this world yeah there's a challenge and you try to overcome it and that this is like a meta level game speed running that it's mm-hmm. like the challenge of how do i use this gun in the game and also the challenge of like how do i use the game to do the game faster right and in the same way that learning like okay how do i take this mechanic and and use it to get me to the next region or whatever in the same way that that is satisfying the the meta game with a very similar core loop is also satisfying Mm -hmm. and if there's a an aspect of rng and you just have to keep going you just keep having to bash your head against the wall trying to get not even your skills better, but just lucky. Mm-hmm. That is when speedrunning goes from who is the best at video games, or who's the you know who can do the video game the quickest, to who has the most patience for this. Mm. More on that later. So let's talk briefly about, and by briefly I mean not briefly at all. What goes into speedrunning Minecraft? Because there is drama in the Minecraft speedrunning world. And I attribute that to, because so much meaning is assigned to these speedruns, drama forms around them naturally. Mm-hmm. And recently, a Minecraft speedrunner that uses the handle Dream had some drama surrounding one of his submissions. So, Minecraft speedruns are interesting because one of the categories is random seed. When you start a new game of Minecraft, the default behavior is to procedurally generate an entire world that is significantly different from other worlds. In, like, where different biomes are, uh, where veins of resources are located, and how the game is going to behave in general. Mm-hmm. But there's an option to input a specific seed and get a specific world, and and speedrunning a particular seed is a whole other category. If you already know what the world's going to be like, and you can be sure that the seed is good for, for speedrunning, you can beat the game much more quickly than if you have to 
hope that you get a good seed. Right. But I think the the far more interesting speed run is this random seed category where runners have to quickly analyze the situation that the RNG has put them in. It's not, uh, you know, the the seeded ones are in the realm of four minutes mm-hmm. where where um, the the random seed are much more than that because you can't control all the variables. Right. I'm thinking like, so there's tool-assisted speedruns, um, mm-hmm. which is where there's a, like a, a thing that pretends to be a keyboard and mouse, mm-hmm. and you just tell it, okay, we know this seed, you need to go, you know, press W for three seconds, look up, um, hit the whole tree with the pickaxe, that kind of thing, mm-hmm. and you just say, move this, move these keys, whatever. And you can do that as fast as the computer can register the inputs, creating a theoretically perfect run. Right. And you can make a TASBOT for a known seed, like a premeditated seed. You can just say, okay, every time you load up this seed, you're going to be here, go to this place, go to um, Mm -hmm. do these things. And so there's something gratifying about the fact that somebody in a random seed is like could not be a a robot there's Mm -hmm. no tasbot that you could create that would be able to conquer that challenge yeah definitely so to beat minecraft to win the game you have to kill this is this is going to be a a lot for anyone who hasn't played minecraft so bear with me (laughs) i'm going to try to break it down as much as i can to beat minecraft you have to kill the ender dragon a large black dragon in a totally different realm that can breathe purple fire and fling you into the air, either knocking you into the abyss or killing you by making you fall too far and hit the ground. It's difficult to kill the dragon, but mm-hmm. speed runners have techniques to make that easier. That's actually not the hardest part. A lot of the challenge for speedrunners is actually getting to the realm that the dra- dragon lives in. To do that, you need to open a portal. To do that, you need 11 items called Eyes of Ender. To get one Eye of Ender, you need two ingredients, Blaze Powder and an Ender Pearl. These two items are the things that are most difficult for a speedrunner to get quickly because there are only a few avenues to get them. Unlike like a sword or something, you can make that out of a lot of different materials, and there are mm-hmm. lots of ways to get those materials. And so for a random seed... Uh, you can pick the best avenue for the situation you find yourself in. Right. But for these items, there's only a couple ways to get there. Blaze powder. So to get blaze powder, the first of the two things you need to make the the eyes, you need blaze rods that can only be obtained by killing a type of mob called a blaze. Blazes are like fire incarnate. They can fly, light you on fire, and the danger that they pose is more than the sum of the parts when they gang when they gang up on you. Yes. Dying is bad for your speedrun because it means you have to start over with none of your stuff in Minecraft. Mm-hmm. And blazes drop blaze rods 50% of the time that you kill them. This is the second aspect of RNG after the initial seed of the world that speedrunners have to deal with. Yeah. There's no way to kill a blaze so that it drops a blaze rod every single time. Right. Players can get the other item they need, 
ender pearls by killing a different type of mob called endermen. Endermen also have a 50% chance of dropping an ender pearl when you kill them, but endermen don't spawn very frequently. And this makes getting the pearls through them not really good for speedrunning. Other options for getting the pearls is training a villager, which takes a long time, and you don't need to know what any of this means, just that it takes a long time. Mm -hmm. Uh, Trying to get them in random loot drops, which is really unreliable and no one uses. And bartering with a mob called piglins. And this is the one that all the speedrunners use now. Ah, okay. And this that's a, a fairly new mechanic, like Yeah, that's in the mid last year, right? Yeah, it's very new actually. Um that's another category for Minecraft is the version number. So mm-hmm. you can do how you want to beat it, what seed you're gonna use, and what version you're gonna use. Uh currently I think they're on one point sixteen, which introduced piglins. If you give a piglin a gold ingot they will give you a random item in return. And there is a roughly 2.18% chance of you of them giving you 2 to 4 ender pearls. So if you need 11 if you need 11 pearls, on average you will need to get you will need to give the piglin 163 gold bars. That's a lot of gold bars. It is. And again, you don't need to know exactly what that means, just that it is the fastest way, but it is a lot of work um, to do it that fast. And the, depending on what random numbers you get, though, that could be just three gold bars or a thousand. So you can see how RNG figures into so much of Minecraft speedrunning. Mm-hmm. But that's not all. To, that's not to say that all it takes to speedrun Minecraft is luck. Is luck. You need to be very, very good at Minecraft. So, do we feel like we have a pretty good idea of how um, Minecraft speedrunning goes? I think there's one more RNG element that maybe you mentioned and I missed, um, which is how far away the portal to get to the place where the dragon is is from where you start. Yeah, I didn't mention that. I I was thinking it was um, included in the seed for the entire world. Mm -hmm. Right. Just like where the portal is in the world is also an aspect of RNG. But that's another one of those things that it could be like three steps or it could be a thousand. Mm -hmm. And there's no way to know. Yeah. And if it's bad, you just start over. And that is... and And which can be so frustrating. If the rest of your run is going super, super well, but the fortress is just too far away, the portal to get to the end is just too far away, then mm-hmm. all of that was for nothing. So, Dream is a young YouTuber slash Twitch streamer, and he is very, very good at Minecraft. This is clear as day when watching his videos. He seems to always know exactly what to do in every situation, and it's really fun to watch him abuse the, the mechanics to play the game in a way that you would never think to do casually. Um, it, so did he get his like first bit of fame with like ultra-hardcore um, server kind of stuff? Yes, and but more recently... Uh, what really put him over the edge in terms of popularity has been his 
Minecraft Manhunt series, in which he tries to speedrun the game as quickly as he can while people are while other people on that server are trying to kill him. Oh my god. And it's if you can stand it <laughs> if you can stand the humor is just a lot of yelling and mic yeah. clipping and distortion and I watched a lot of the videos in preparation for this topic. Uh-huh. And they're not not funny, but it is annoying. But if you like that kind of thing, he is obviously very entertaining, he's obviously very good and it is fun to watch and um so yeah. We'll just leave it there. Um I don't think he's a, just based on what I've seen, I don't think I'd be his friend. But <laughs> Um, I don't know him actually, so, but he is very good at Minecraft. Right. Dream was streaming his speedrun attempts on Twitch and he got very lucky on one of his runs. He messed up a little bit at the end, but he, if he hadn't, he would have been very, very close to beating the record. Mm-hmm. This made one viewer suspicious. So they counted exactly how many blazes Dream killed versus how many blaze routes he got and how many trades he did with the piglins, and how many enderpearls he received. Mm. He went o- uh, that, that viewer went over more than a week of Dream streaming and found that Dream was getting these two items, the items that are the most difficult to get mm-hmm. for speedrunners. He was getting these two items at much, much better rates than he should have been. This came to the attention of the moderators of the Minecraft speedrunning board, uh, Minecraft speedrunning boards, and they checked the viewers' work. They also went over all the videos and counted. They found that they, to confirm, this guy is he in like the top three? I think, uh, as far as records go, or like not even on the board. You know, I don't know what he currently stands at. I know that this run in particular was around 16. If he if he did better, it would have been top 5 easy. Okay. In terms of luck, it was a dream. <laughs> <laughs> so, um they also found his odds of getting these items were way better than they should have been. They even hired a statistician to figure out what the odds of getting such good luck were. Mm-hmm. And their conclusion was that the odds of Dream getting that good of luck for as long as he did was around 1 in 7 trillion. In other words, Dream cheated. Yeah. Dream countered this by hiring his own statistician, who remained anonymous, who says that the odds were more like 1 in 100 million. And Dream has a huge fan base, many of whom defended him on the internet, which is great. Uh, and many of these defenses were along the lines of, why would Dream cheat? He's so good. And yeah, he, he is really good. He didn't need to cheat. But there's an important distinction to make here. Dream didn't need, Dream didn't need to cheat to play Minecraft quickly. But he would have needed to cheat to so quickly get such good luck. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of arguing about whose math was correct. Statistics are complicated. But this was basically put to rest once someone realized that they could just run the code. 
and count the number of times the RNG was that good. So people donated processor time, like SETI style, where they just like <laughs> make a screensaver. And so they to run the Piglin and Blaze code trillions of times to see what the actual odds were. And what they found was that the moderator's estimate was probably not harsh enough. Out of oh the dozens God. of trillions of times the code was run, not one time did they have as good a as good of luck as Dream. Wow. Yeah. So like he didn't just cheat, he cheated. So I want to talk a bit about why a non-speedrunner cares about this kind of thing. Okay. Why is this interesting? Even though Dream is really good, he cheated anyway. Not because he couldn't perform the thing, but because he didn't want to, he presumably, he didn't want to wait to have the opportunity to do it quickly. Mm -hmm. And that upset people in a really interesting way, I think. Because people got really, really heated. And, you know, in Twitch chats and on Twitter and stuff. Because, not not because, like, they really cared about whether this particular speedrun is valid. It was more about nor was it about someone breaking the sanctity of speedruns. Like, people have cheated in speedruns before. It happens. Mm -hmm. It was interesting to see because the thing that was cheated was not a level of skill, but the randomness. Which is... And I, I know I've said that a couple times now, but I think that's really interesting. Yeah. Do you think people were more likely to talk about it on in twitch chat and on twitter because they didn't understand it as well i mean probably but like that but, but that's why a lot of these arguments came down to why would dream cheat he's so good mm-hmm. and it is but it's not about his skill and you know he's uh, i don't actually know how old he is but like he sounds young I could probably Google it. That would have been smart. And I think it caters to a younger audience, but that's not super relevant. It was just that even in the face of this overwhelming evidence, people were willing to believe that this guy didn't cheat because he was good. Uh-huh. And, you know, it, like, it doesn't matter in the long run because, like, the, the moderators took, took the speed run away or the, you know, the placement away. They just reverted it. It wasn't a big deal. But it kind of was a big deal because they've got so much much heat for it. And the... And, you know, I'm thinking again, like, why are people so, so insistent that the random was random? And my best guess is a combination of People think people like Dream. They like his content and they don't want him to be like, quote, a fraud or whatever. And like, he's obviously not. You can see by watching the videos that he actually is very good. And 
and this cheating doesn't make him less good at the game. Mm-hmm. But and the but the other aspect I think is that I think there's a I think there's an aspect of we don't you know like probably as Americans mostly we don't want to believe that someone regardless of skill may never rise to the top there's another element i think first off yes that second point is very very cognizant very like thank you i think that hits it very squarely um i think there's a little backdoor bean dad which is that (laughs) um i'm so sorry which is that when 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 dream cheated Mm mm-hmm Allegedly. Um, Sure. (laughs) All of the odds say Dream cheated. And that doesn't make him less good at Minecraft, but it does make him less good for idolatry. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that sucks. I don't want to lose my idol. He's my idol. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's a good point. I think kind of both like I want the person who I think is great to genuinely be great. And I don't want to have to look in the face that somebody can be really good. And if they don't cheat, they don't get recognized. Mm -hmm. So that's about all I have to say. Um, Other than like, if you haven't watched speedruns, like, and if you like video games at all, I think you should watch a couple speedruns because Mm -hmm. it's fun, especially when when someone has been going through the kind of like uh there's a there's a youtube channel called summoning salts uh um i'm sure zach can find it pretty easily for the show notes Mm -hmm. thanks zach uh uh, and he basically does uh youtube videos about the history of x game speedrun speedruns and it's really interesting because you get to see like what techniques were developed over time and what peop- what kind of person goes through this kind of thing. So the one that kept running through my head while I was researching this was um this there was a trick in a Mario Kart speedrun. I think for N64. I can't remember exactly. Okay. Um Basically, the idea was there was some finickiness with how the laps were counted, and you needed three laps no matter what. But there was a way to shorten one of your laps. And someone figured out that if you got very, very lucky, you could get two of those laps doing this trick. Mm. And it was theorized and that it could be done with three all three laps. And then someone made a tool-assisted speedrun to do it, but no human could actually do it. It was thought to be impossible. And then some guy sat down and played Mario Kart for weeks and weeks oh and God. weeks, just trying to do this one trick over and over and over. It was... I mean, I'm, I'm saying he'd never even left the starting line. He got to see 
a tiny portion of this map for weeks and weeks and weeks, and he streamed the whole thing with face cams and and everything. Mm-hmm. And you could tell by the end that he was just so desensitized to losing. He, you know, he started to accept that this was never going to happen. And then it did. And you... And I think you should watch that video because it's a really good example of why people do this kind of thing. Why people put themselves at the mercy of the RNG. Mm -hmm. Because... That guy, his month was made. His year was made. Right. You know, he was so happy. And the and you know, it was on Twitch. So, like, people are watching. And the people who yeah. were there for... Just the people who, were, who got to see it live were so happy that it finally happened. Yeah. And that's why people do this. And that's why... And that's part of the reason, at least, why dream cheating like this is so upsetting for so many speedrunners because this is it's not sacred but it is important so if i were going to make a cooking simulator i would want to add some some random number generation in there because a that's a little more true to the to the cooking experience right there's a mm-hmm. little bit of like sometimes your potatoes just going to be wonky shaped um sure. uh and also just to mess with the speedrunners right you can't you can't do the exact same motions because your potato is going to be weird and so like you got to accommodate a weird potato sometimes Game developers will notice speedruns, speedrunners, mm-hmm. and by that I just mean like in Mario Odyssey, if you do a particularly good skip, a, a good like, you do a bunch of motions and you basically skip the whole level, mm-hmm. getting to the end very quickly. Cappy, your little companion, will get will say, "Wow, that was fast." <laughs> a subtle acknowledgement have you seen any of the ign developers react to a speed run uh, videos no. those are so good i loved the bug snacks one i um, will look those up that sounds fun because it's really they go through and they're like oh yeah all of our testers did that every time um and for the first two months nobody in the speedrunning community knew about it and then everybody <laughs> knew about it um and that so fun. yeah um, and so if I'm making a cooking simulator, I want to make wonky potatoes to screw with the speedrunners. Mm-hmm. Um, but the thing that I'm most concerned with, right? Potatoes, that's down the line. Liz, how would I store my shallots? In your cooking simulator? Uh-huh. Uh, probably like a, a uh, I, I don't know. I don't know, Zach. Liz, what's a shallot? You got me. I have no idea. <laughs> it's like a onion thing. Yeah, it's like a weird purple onion tube. Yeah. Um, please direct your attention to, I don't know, Google Images or something and just look at a picture of a shallot. Mm-hmm. I'm um, looking. 
None of these have the information I would want you to have, though. So give me a second. Okay. Here's a botanical drawing. That's good. That's important. All right, Liz, I have sent you some shallots. Okay. Uh, I zoomed too far. I have your reflection. (laughs) Okay. I am looking at shallots. Okay. And so you can see from these images that when you cut open a shallot, kind of like an onion, there's rings, right? Mm-hmm. Shallots have layers. Um, but the layers that you're looking at um, are not, like, it's not just perfect circles like an onion. Mm-hmm. It's kind of got a, cloves. Mm-hmm. So this, um, the kind of rings of shallot on the cutting board, uh, I just cut sideways and then slid it off. So these are all these all have the same rotation Mm -hmm. within the shallot. And so I want to know what, what's the smallest amount of information I could store that could let me display a shallot to somebody using my cooking simulator. Mm. And the second question then off of that is how do we use that to give an AI the ability to generate a shallot? Okay. I'm open my, to any ideas, but I also have very many. My first thought was we'd do something like you'd make like you'd store the you'd store a like a ellipse. So but so so to store an ellipse, you only need two points of data you just need uh well three maybe you need two foci and a radius Mm -hmm. so you could do that you could the you could procedurally just rotate that calculus style and make it a solid shape okay like an egg shape basically Mm mm-hmm and then you could store also a a random seed to just introduce these kind of like wobbly oblong bits that you know it follows an algorithm but the thing you need to store is only a couple of characters long hmm so it's like a distortion function that gets applied to the ellipse based on the seed yeah basically and then you'd store two of those for each of these um cloves Mm -hmm. that's a pretty good thought um my initial very naive way of going about it was thinking just like take a shallot a digital shallot and slice it on a mandolin kind of yeah, you just get every slice. And get every slice and then store each layer as like an SVG mm-hmm. kind of thing. So it's and each... just kind of connect the dots to make it 3D. Right. Yeah, I mean, it would work. It would just take up a lot of space, I imagine. Mm-hmm. There's an important bit of information that I forgot to include here, which is that I want to be able to cut into the shallot. That would make my idea much harder because then you'd have to 
you'd have to calculate probably with like with more calculus each layer each cross section yeah right that sounds intensive um you could maybe jeez this is a hard problem <laughs> i mean okay so the way an actual video game developer would do it would be to make like 10 3d models with of their own cross sections of good chalets uh, and then rotate between them right i want totally random chalets <laughs> random it's just one to ten <laughs> i went never before seen shallots yes exactly so th- thinking about that the like the mandolin sliced shallots mm-hmm. i do have an idea of how i would generate those okay um and i forgot to look up the term i think it's an adversarial or a pair of adversarial neural networks okay um so this would commonly be used where like you're trying to generate a picture of a cat and so you have one ai that you you pat on the head and say good job when it i correctly identifies a real picture of a cat versus an ai generated picture of a cat okay and you have another ai that's just constantly trying to generate pictures of cats right And so we could do whatever. We could import a hundred real shallots, just slice them real thin on the mandolin Mm -hmm. and draw out all their curves and have those hundred real shallots go into the the comparison AI. And then the generation AI um, would work kind of like a Markov generator. So first it generates one end. And then using the that end, it generates the next ring. Yeah, right. And then using those two, it generates the third. Using those three, it generates the fourth. Mm-hmm. Um, and goes along until it reaches the end. And so now you've got the same kind of data structure of Shallot. And mm-hmm. one of them is real and one of them is fake. And you just keep running those against each other until you've got really real Shallots. That, like, you can't tell the difference between... Yeah. <laughs> That's, that'd be cool. That sure would be cool, Zach. <laughs> uh, the issue is kind of along the lines of, like... If we're trying to avoid computational intensity, that's the wrong way to do it. There, Yeah, so... Running I two think... neural nets simultaneously, having the other give each... So, basically... It's adversarial because if the AI that is trying to tell the difference between real and fake shallots uh-huh. get gets a pat on the head, then the the one that's generating the shallots doesn't get a pat on the head. If if that one if the generator gets a pat on the head, mm-hmm. then the comparator does not. Right. And they're both and they both their only purpose in life. They both have daddy issues. <laughs> they both have daddy issues and they just want to, to do a good job and they just want to get a pat on the head. Right. And so then once um, 
once you've gotten them trained up to a level that you like, you can use the model of only the one that generates them, right? Yeah. The one that compares is no longer useful. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we would only need to have one AI actually running to generate each shallot. Yeah. <laughs> once they're trained up, you know. Uh-huh. Um, I, I'm being a bit coy because I, I, I know Zach also knows that this is still a ton, a ton of computation. Right. Um, but I think... Not a crazy amount. I will say this is much better. Mm-hmm. And I think it has the potential to generate a lot of high quality shallots mm-hmm. where some other ideas that I have might be a little cheaper computationally, um, but the shallots would be lower quality. Yeah, this is probably the best way, the best, certainly the best way that I can think of. I like your idea of kind of a deformation mapping on the outside. Mm-hmm. Um. Which also could be done with AIs. I don't think it would be harder to do the Markov thing. Right. It would be harder for that generation to take place because, I mean, you're, you'd be starting with, like, just pick a random seed, see how it is. And if that's not good, try a different thing. And you try to notice aspects basically you're trying to notice aspects of random seeds when there might not be anything there. Mm -hmm. Whereas with a Markov generator, with a Markov generator, you can say pretty definitively when this, when the weight of going from here to here is five, the other AI gets, gets pats on the head and I do not. Right, and you can ad- and it can adjust those values itself, whereas it's it's less. Uh, what am I thinking? Like turning a dial to the right spot, it's less turning a dial to the right spot and more trying to recognize patterns in shallots, which is just crazy making, <laughs> even for an AI. And I think also then to do that adversarially, you'd need to be able to reverse the um, yeah. deformation you then, function. You would then to need turn to turn make... a real shallot into a deformation function. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> which is which sounds very difficult. You could use um lasers. I don't remember in. Do you, in number theory, is there always... I'm pretty sure there's not always an inverse of every function. Correct. And, like, your function, your deformation function, might not have an inverse. You'd have to find it. God, okay. Yeah. Okay, so we've got deformation function of an egg. We've got... um mandolins of bezier curves uh next possibility is liz have you played spore i saw a monster factory of it okay so you are familiar with the spine editing of the game spore i think so it's been a minute um so in spore you can edit 
spines um which is so it's there's just like a bunch of little bone units kind of they're a specific length um and each bone has a radius and so if you have a really large radius bone next to a really small radius bone then the skin has to stretch um it's not the radius of the bone i should say it's the radius of the matter around the bone Mm -hmm. and so like you could have a large head and then a skinny neck and then wide shoulders right and that would just be a large radius bone a small radius bone and then a large radius bone okay and i think in a similar way you could make kind of a shallot spine okay to define the outside of the shallot like the the onion shape right just like the shape of the shallot okay um and then i think you could have maybe one cross section in the okay. widest point of the shallot mm-hmm. and all you need to do is generate that cross section and then interpolate it to the edges okay no I'm just looking at this. I'm looking at, um, let's see which or the second picture. I hope it's in the same order. It's one the one with all the shallots lined up. Mm-hmm. I'm looking at the first one cut versus like the fourth one cut. Mm-hmm. Those don't look anything near each other it doesn't look like a squished down compressed version of the fourth one right the curves are not entirely different but pretty different Mm -hmm. i think you would need at least a couple more points on that spine okay still a lot better than generating an entire definitely but I think, but I think you're right that that wouldn't give you as good a shallot as uh-huh. the adversarial AIs doing mandolin cross sections. Because I think that's just like this is just kind of a watered down version of that. Instead of going layer by layer, you go chunk a couple layers. Yeah. yeah, you just have to store the one curve in the middle of the shallot, and then the what does the outside of the shallot look like? Those are my my best shallot ideas for how to store a shallot. Okay, I um, think they're I think they're good ones. You could also just throw it in the fridge. I'm not laughing. In particular, I'm not laughing. <laughs> Valid. And now, a PSA from the worrying bugs. One must imagine Sisyphus, a dedicated speedrunner. This has been a PSA from the Worrying Bugs. Jared, if you have a better way to store shallots and generate or, shallots. <laughs> uh, or if you can play Minecraft faster than dream, you can reach out to me on Twitter. I'm at... 